This is Talking Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talking Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. Jody Stemmler, and we're back for another episode of Talking Mule Deer, but we are missing Steve Belinda on this episode. Steve is actually out working on a habitat project out in Wyoming. We've got a new staff person out there, so a little too remote to be able to get on a podcast this morning, so we've got our own outreach coordinator, JJ Hinton on board. JJ, welcome as to your first co-host of Talking Mule Deer. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I'm sorry y'all drew the short straw and got stuck with me, but uh, you know, uh, I'll do my best to fill those gigantic shoes. Uh, I like to call them clown shoes that Steve likes to wear. So, <laughs> well, and JJ's always been a part of this since he's come on board because he helps edit the the podcast now for us and do a lot. So, so it's only fair that you're behind the mic for a little bit. Tell us about our guest today, JJ. Hey, uh, yeah, we're excited. Uh, so we've got Nosler Ammunition uh, and Firearms, Nosler Inc. Uh, joining us. And from Nosler, we've got John Nosler. John, you are the president and our COO, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Welcome, John. So happy to have you on board. And thank you so much for supporting the Mule Deer Foundation. Tell us a little bit about your company and how it got its roots. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so it's a super long story, but I'm going to give you the real condensed version. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a truck driver. And his passion was hunting. And so, you know, he would, he would run produce during the war. And so he was running wow. produce back and forth. And, and uh, he would go to British Columbia and go hunting. And he was up there one year. And this was like in 1946. And he went on a hunt. And the moose came out of this mud bath, just covered, you know, covered caked in mud. <laughs> and he was shooting a 300 H&H Magnum. And at the time, that was the, the most powerful Magnum is brand, and the original one just had 300 Magnum on it. And so he's shooting these bullets and the bullet wouldn't go into the moose. And it mm. just, he basically just kept hitting this moose over and over and over again. He's driving back and at the time he lived in Ashland, Oregon, and he, he's driving back and he's just disappointed and upset. And, you know, as, as hunters, we hate that, right? You, you want it to go perfect. You never want him to suffer. You just, you want to, you know, we respect the animals too much. He was beside himself. But as a truck driver, he kept thinking, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Well, when you hit the brakes on a truck, your trailer always pushes forward, right? And so he's thinking, what if I had a bullet that had a trailer in the front end, and, or an engine, you know, engine pulling and trailer in the back end, the trailer pushes through, and then you get the penetration. He takes a, uh, an old axle off one of his old trucks and makes a lathe, hand makes some bullets, goes back to British Columbia the following year. They all have one shot kills. They're all super happy. My grandma says, listen, that's great. I'm happy for you, but you're, <laughs> you're, you, you own a trucking company that we run produce. You're not a bullet manufacturer. Right. Well, I kind of want to be, well, you can't be both. You got to do one or the other. <laughs> Fortunately for me and my family, he, he chose bullet manufacturing. He tried to sell his idea to everybody else because he, he just didn't really know how to do it in mass yeah. production. Uh, he went and stayed at Washington, D.C. for a long time at the patent office, learned how to create his own patent. Wow. You got, this is in the 40s. Wow. And then he comes, 
comes back, has his patent, super excited. Everybody said it was the Dear John letters, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You, oh. you know, you've got a great idea, but it's not going to work. And I've got a couple of them. After he passed away, I, I inherited his den. He kept every one of those rejection letters. Oh, wow. It, Motivation. It, it was. It was the giant chip on his shoulder. And it was great because I could look at it and say, "What? that's the American entrepreneur spirit, right? That's, Absolutely. That's, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to make this happen. So fast forward, he got some business partners, started making bullets, um, was getting like great notoriety from like Jack O'Connor, Elmer Keith, and they were writing back and forth to him. And he just got inspired to keep doing it. And, you know, fast forward to today, we, we went from bullet manufacturers to uh, brass manufacturers to ammo manufacturers to firearms manufacturer. And uh, he'd be pretty proud of where we, we've come for sure. I'd imagine. When did some of that branching off and expansion of your product line begin? So, uh, you know, me growing up, we were bullets and that, that's, we were the bullet man. We always kind of joked uh, in our family, we were the Intel inside. Remember those old Intel commercials oh, yeah. for all the computers? <laughs> so we, yep. we, we made bullets for everybody. You know, our own brand, we, you know, Federal, Winchester, Remington, Norma, Weatherby. We, you know, we made them for everybody. But um, around, around, I was getting out of college, so it was around 2000. And um, my dad and I, uh, we were on a hunt in uh, uh, Northwest Territories and 9-11, right on 9-11. Mm. And we got stuck, obviously. We didn't know what was happening with the world. And uh, we just started kind of talking about the future of, of the company and of the brand and where we wanted it to be. I mean, we all know, right? Sitting around a campfire, you get a lot done. You Best can solve ideas. the world's yeah, problems. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and so we basically kind of came up with some concepts, but I mean, they were all rough. We finally get home. You know, 9-11 has happened. The world shut down. And we watched a lot of our business go away and a lot of our our, our market go away because you know consumers were scared they didn't it, they, we didn't know what we were doing and you know there was a lot of layoffs nationwide there was, the economy was it was bad dad and i said we never want to be in that position again so how do we how do we do this well we we'll go back to the campfire conversations and one of them was branching into our own case line manufacturing our own ammunition our own firearms and you know we talked to people and they're like, okay, yeah, you make bullets. Don't get ahead of yourself. Guys. <laughs> and we would go to shot show the next year and we're walking around and we're looking at just kind of some ideas and it hit us. Like it was like the same time, you know, when you have those light bulb moments and we said, Oh my gosh, we need to branch out. Let's do it. Let's just do it. We don't care what everybody else says. Just like my grandfather didn't care when everybody right. said it's not going right. to work. And it, it kind of dawned on us like, that's a great idea. My father had written a business plan in 1986 for ammunition. And mm -hmm. so we, we dusted that off and I'm looking at it going, you know, you had it then, right? We didn't have to wait so long. He goes, yeah, we actually had <laughs> to. We, didn't. <laughs> we, 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 we weren't well known. Time. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so 2003, 2004, we just kept branching out. And then, you know, by 2010, we had started getting a full line and, you know, we just kept growing from there. And I think we, you know, we acquired a couple companies uh, from 2012 to 13, uh, kept, kept growing. We built a new factory in Redmond. Um, 
with the idea. We bought 60 acres up there and we're, we're going to have a campus. And that was the idea of we were going to have a firearms building. We were going to have a, a brass manufacturing, a CNC operation building, bullet manufacturing, like a campus. And yeah. uh, it all, like I said, it all started from that hunt, sitting around a campfire, thinking mm. the world was ending. You know, because nine eleven, we're not yeah. getting picked up, and what's Absolutely. happening? Yeah, we get home and uh, realize that we're we're not that far from the tree. You know, with with grandpa, and yeah, don't take no for an answer. That that's pretty impressive, and it also it, it does speak to the volumes to what can be accomplished around a campfire. Oh we need gosh. to take a break, uh, and I think what we'd, I'd like to do when we get back from our hearing from our supporters is to transition to hear a little bit more specifically about the ammunition. And I know this is JJ's wheelhouse, so I'm going to let him ask some of those questions because I I know there is you talked a little bit about what your grandfather's idea was, but you guys have been very innovative in your your uh, ballistics and and in your bullet manufacturing. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Let's hear from our supporters and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Elk, sheep, big old muleys, not a problem for the 27 Nosler. We packed it with more downrange punch than the 300 Win Mag. We designed it to be flatter shooting than the 6.5 PRC. The 27 Nosler is everything you've heard, all that you've asked for, and plenty more. So enough talking. Check out the numbers for yourself and see what makes the 27 Nosler such a beast at Nosler.com. If you're buying or selling a trophy hunting or fishing property in the western U.S., our friends at St. James Sporting Properties should be your go-to resource. St. James Sporting Properties is more than an elite group of professional ranch brokers. They're also passionate about chasing monster mule deer highly successful big game hunters, and avid outdoorsmen. When you combine their passion and expertise in the outdoors with their industry-leading marketing program, you're guaranteed to have a first-class experience. For more information, go to the Supporting Partners page on MuleDeer.org or give St. James Sporting Properties a call today to buy or sell your dream sporting property. All right. Hey, we're back. And we were just hearing about the history of Nosler from John Nosler himself. And and as, before we got into the break, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your ammunition and what makes it different. So let us know. Tell us what you got. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so when we started ammo, you know, I was talking about 2004, 2005, kind of growing into it. We wanted to start with like custom hand loads because we were really good at that. I mean, we load bullets all day long and shoot them because for testing. And we knew what recipes work. We, we've done multiple reloading manuals. Uh, for the consumers, and we said, let's let's use the best recipes. Well, that kind of developed and kept getting bigger and bigger. And then we bought, like I said, we bought a company that uh, all of a sudden we're making our own cartridge cases. And then it turned into what's next. And you know, for ammo, um, it's a giant risk. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's there's a lot of barriers to entry to get into ammo. Everybody wants to be an ammo company and they, and they, they try that. Well, this equipment is hard to get. It's super expensive. It, uh, you know, a lot of it's world war two and yeah, it's just absolutely. refurbished. And, uh, you know, we kept developing products and, you know, kind of like I alluded to, we were selling to a lot of other companies in OEM configurations, uh, a lot of our projectiles and a lot of it didn't fit their, their brands what we were, what we wanted to do. And so we said, well, shoot, let's go for it. Let's put it in our brand. 
or, or create a new brand within our brand and start launching the, these projectiles in our own loaded ammunition. And it just kept taking off. Then we got this wild hair that actually started right, right before my grandfather died. He kept talking about his dream would be to have a Nosler cartridge. Okay. And I said, you know, again, timing. Timing is everything. And we started talking about it, kicked around some ideas. Nothing really came of it. And one day uh, we were hunting in uh, Texas and campfire conversation hmm. about what the world needs. And what came out of that was ended up being the 26 Nosler. And that was our first intro into cartridge manufacture, our own cartridge. And it took off. I mean, it, it, it was unbelievable. What else can we do with this? And, you know, Mike Lake, our, our senior leader of, of engineering and research development, uh, he was he had the foresight to come out and say, hey, there's going to be a lot of wildcats made from this 26. Mm -hmm. Why don't we make all of them right now so we kind of standardize them just to give us flexibility? Well, the 28 ended up being the one. Like That was the next introduction. Mm -hmm. And ever since that day, I think um, our, our trajectory went from really good to great. And right. uh, we, we've been excited. And, and it's, it's been forcing us to, when you have a cartridge like this, it's like my grandfather, the 300 H&H. It forces you to make better bullets. Because right. the bullets can't handle uh, the technology that's coming out in the firearms. So you end up making better, longer range projectiles that handle expansion velocities from, you know, 3,800 feet a second to like 1,200 feet a second. And, and it just makes you better. And so everybody kind of thrives. We, we keep firearms at the at kind of the, the tip of the spear, if you were to look at it, or top of the pyramid. And it flows down into... Uh, bullet development, ammunition development, cartridge case development. And it's allowing us to, with our own cartridges to make our bullets, I think, better. Now our, our, our partners are, are looking at, you know, they're, they're loading 28 nozzle. And it's like one of the right. most proud moments I can have is I look and I see a box of, you know, federal ammunition or, or, or Hornaday ammunition that has 28 nozzle. And it's like, we did it. You know, that's what we wanted to do. So, it all, it all kind of stemmed, uh, you know, from the, the, the same product launch, that one year of cartridge cases, some custom firearms, and a little bit of hand-loaded hand ammo, you know, to now we're creating cartridges and we're creating new, new projectiles and we're helping our partners out with their developments, you know, because they've got crazy cartridges coming out and we're making bullets specifically for them. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, all, it's all stemming from that same, that same launch. Yeah, and it, it's, it's really amazing to see the evolution of, uh, you know, Nosler from where you started off with a partition bullet. And, and that bullet really, I think, changed a, a lot of manufacturers' perspective on bullet jacket design, um, particularly having a heavy heel to carry that bullet through the target, first and foremost. But second of all, your draw processes where you guys actually end up with more of a tapered jacket uh, yep. to your, to your draw process instead of a uniform straight jacket. And, yep. um, you know, those, the, some of those developments have just been, you know, great. And let's be honest, I mean, it was the, the heyday of cartridge development at that point in time. It was when RCBS was running full blast and people were yeah. making bullets out of 22 casings and, uh, you know, Nosler hit the scene. There was a weather beast started hitting the scene and really pushing the velocity numbers up. And, uh, so you had a lot of the manufacturers all in that same game, but you know, the, to see that evolution that started with the partition, 
moved into the ballistic tip bullet, uh, you know, from there moving on to some of your, you know, other, your e-tip bullets, uh, some of your long range custom competition bullets, all of that, that evolution that all started from, uh, you know, engineering that came from somebody that wasn't an engineer. Oh, that's, that's what I always tell people, especially like my family. I'll tell my, my kids, uh, your great grandfather could think in three dimensions. It was crazy. And it was without any education. I mean, we got to go back. He had zero formal education and he just wanted to do it. And he learned and he pushed himself to do it. And my father comes in, you know, and he takes the company from an R and D perspective, like my grandfather had it to more of a business and understanding uh, market trends and, and where we needed to go as, as a brand. And then I, you know, I come in and I think between my father and I, we had so much energy. It was, uh, let's, let's expand on what my grandfather did, but bring it up to a full scale production. But you're talking uh, extrusion uh, for our jacket making is what you're talking about. And, and we, that, that was a concept. My grandfather, he had a book and it was in German and he figured out how to do it from reading wow. a book that was in German. <laughs> uh it's just it's mind-blowing to me you know what we do today right we google everything and we figure out okay i'm watching a youtube video that's pretty interesting and i go to a plant tour he's thinking in three dimension reading a german book i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you can't halt brilliant brilliance can you yeah, yeah right just, uh, just how different people's minds work on that it, it's just uh yeah it, it's a it's pretty cool and and, and I, I personally just uh, you know admire uh, a company like yours that you know started off with a singular product let's do a one product do it exceptionally well and then let's take what we've learned there and accelerate that further down the road. And then that's obviously brought you into cartridge development and yeah. rifle manufacturing now and, you know, really allowing you to be more full service as a manufacturer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. We had, we had a sales meeting not long ago and it was fun listening to all the sales guys and, and, and sales ladies throughout the, the entire world on this call. Right. And then they were talking about, we're one of the only companies, if you really look at it, that has it all. Not many people have it all. Um, you know, you know, Remington obviously had it all, but I mean, they kind of get split up and, and, you know, Winchester got, they're all split up now, but there's not many. And, and you know, we're, we're actually trying to like, we took a moment like, okay, who else does this? Who else has bullets as their core, core business and then has case manufacturing, ammunition manufacturing, firearm manufacturing, but they're all in different divisions under the same roof. I mean, it's almost vertically integrated all the way through. It's, it's yeah, quite it's amazing. It's a unique model. Yeah. Sure. Right. And, you know, particularly uh, in the era as we got into the 90s and the early 2000s, where we saw so many manufacturers getting gobbled up by larger manufacturers and falling underneath to see that you guys yeah. uh, stayed independent that entire time and stayed true to what your mission was. Uh, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. I, I, that's one of the things I, I'm very proud of is, uh, we are a family business. We are a uh, top to bottom family business. And I love that. Whether you know whether you are a nozzler or not, you're part of our family. And and I look at it and I go, okay, I, I was taught by my father, and and I was mentored by my grandfather. My mother works here. My sister works here. I've got two brother in laws that work here. Uh, it, it's we are we are very much uh, family business. And, uh, you know, American owned operated. We're very proud of that. Uh, we're very proud of the fact that we make everything here. It's not mm -hmm. like we're 
we're, we're buying stuff from China and trying to put a nozzle yeah. label on it and send it out the right. door. Uh, yeah, very well, proud of that. And, and even more so than that, I mean, you are supplying all those big manufacturers, whether it's Winchester or Federal Ammunition, so helping them on their products to, to expand your reach as, as a manufacturer as well. So, you know, you're, you're what do we call that, coopetition. Uh, there's an awful lot of that bit. going on. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and on our, you know, not to get too geeked out on, on uh, business principles, but in our, in our mission statement, we have our number one item on there is partner with our OEMs. Okay. And when we, we talk about that, you know, original equipment manufacturer, we Intel inside, we're the bullet for these for, the, for these companies, but we want to give them an edge. And so we're trying to differentiate between each brand that we help. And, uh, and, and what we're finding is it just elevates our brand even more. And yeah. it's, it's exciting. It's, it's a fun time to be in the firearms industry. It's a fun time to be in the ammunition industry. Um, you know, it was rough a couple of years ago, you know, the, a lot of sales were were not what they are today, uh, but what what bridges companies I think during those times is product development. And if you have the new products, the cutting edge uh, platform items that you want to introduce, uh, like our twenty eight nozzler, it bridges you through all that stuff. Yeah. And and I always have the saying to our team: we got to be relevant, or we're going to die. So yeah. always be relevant and. Uh, it took us a long time. You talked a little bit about long, like long range projectiles. It took us a long time to come to terms with long range because there's the, there's the long range hunting side. There's the long range right. target side. Um, I'm a guy that likes to get up close and personal when I hunt, uh, you know, and, yeah. and, but, but then we started seeing the trend lines on, it isn't so much about that as it is the science behind uh, long range shooting and, and, and being a, a expert at, right. at being able to hit a target. Uh, you know, that far away. And, and so we felt it was our moral obligation to come up with a projectile that did open up and did perform at that range. Uh, but it took us a couple of years to come to terms with, with that. Uh, that. That It's tough. That's a tough conversation. Okay, we need to take another break to hear from our supporters again. But when we come back, uh, you talked about industry in general right now. And, and I'd like to swing around on that a little bit because... There's this ammunition shortage that people talk about. So I'd like what? to hear about it from, from oh, your perspective and how you, how you work on it, or at <laughs> least explain a little bit. So let's hear from our supporters, and then we'll come back, and, and we'll hear a little bit more about what you guys are doing in, in a bullish market, for sure. For three generations and over 75 years, Weatherby has remained dedicated to excellence and innovation in producing quality rifles, shotguns, and ammunition. With 15 cartridges and unmatched ballistic superiority, know that nothing shoots flatter, hits harder, or is more accurate. Carry a Weatherby on your hunt of a lifetime and know you can depend on it to get the job done. At Weatherby, we exist to do one thing, inspire the dreams of hunters and shooters. To learn more, visit weatherby.com. For the cold, heat, and rough terrain, Zeiss Optics are built to meet the wilderness and the elements up close. And mule deer hunters are going to love what they see. Zeiss has redesigned its entire product line and now includes lightweight precision rifle scopes, binoculars, rangefinders, and spotting scopes that the Western hunter demands. The industry-leading V4 scopes feature 14 new reticle options and scope configurations, while the V6 premium rifle scopes with shot FL glass lead the market in optics and repeatability. 
The Victory RF rangefinding binocular is the ultimate tool for glassing and ranging, while the Gavia 85 is the leader in premium packable lightweight spotting scopes. Zeiss Optics, delivering peak performance in even the most demanding conditions. All right, we're back. Thanks again, John, for everything you've told us so far about your business and how you guys are are, are innovating in your company. Um, when we wrapped up the, before the break, I wanted to hear a little bit about what's going on in the industry right now. Your comment about innovation um, definitely resonated with me. I go I go to a shot show every year and walk around as a freelance outdoor writer and go, okay, what's new? Well, we've got this new slight, you know, Cerakote on this barrel or whatever. I'm like, that's yeah. not new. <laughs> I mean, it's right, cool. Right. Yeah, that's nice, but that's not new. So innovation is is incredible, but you're also challenged with uh, coming up, having to come up with the the materials to manufacture what we need to do. And and you've got people buying everything that's available. I mean, you, we were in a sportsman's warehouse right. at McBellas this weekend looking for ammunition and you can't find it. So tell us from your perspective a little bit about what's driving that, if that's, if you can. Oh, Jody's I can. taking the gloves off now. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're getting into the deep conversation. Drop them oh, down. Yeah. Let's go. We okay, didn't prep I, you for this question. You, well, you didn't, but I knew it was coming and I'm prepared for the hate mail that I'm going to get now. <laughs> uh, so let's back up. COVID. Okay. And what was happening is we were coming off what the industry was calling the Trump slump. Uh, there was no real pressure to uh, manufacture high volumes of anything because the market was just, we were satisfied. The market was satisfied with the amount that was in inventory. Um, so we're working on new product development during that time. Like, like I, I was mentioning earlier, COVID hits. And businesses start shutting down. And you can you can almost pinpoint it to the middle of March. And it was right when uh, the governors started saying, okay, our, our state will shut down, our state will shut down. Well, luckily, the firearms industry was deemed essential. And we're, we're very fortunate enough to have good representation in Washington, D.C. that allowed this to happen. Um, because we, hey, whether we want to admit it or not, we have... Uh, government contracts, you have FBI, Homeland Security, uh, local police departments, et cetera. So we still had to provide them product, uh, yeah. even if people were shut down. Well, as that started rolling, you saw a big spike in demand. And about that time, Remington goes out of business. Mm -hmm. And Remington's one of the largest manufacturers of the world in the world. Uh, and not only just ammo, but primers. Right. And so you take them off from out of the pie of, of you know of, of the suppliers that was great at the beginning because it allowed everybody to get new market share correct well think of toilet paper toilet paper was right. short right <laughs> people got freaked out about toilet paper and so they bought every bit of toilet paper they could buy that happened in ammunition as well um then you started seeing the civil unrest start to happen in the summertime and that became uh, something we were not prepared for as an industry. So we have states that are shut down that have supply chain, right? So we're buying materials from other states, bringing them in. Well, they weren't deemed essential, so they're not operating. So they're trying to get us parts in a minimal capacity, really, uh, very hit or miss. We've got the civil unrest starting to happen. Well, then we get whatever it's like close to 10 million, I'm just going to round up, 10 million new, new gun owners. 
because civil unrest caused panic and fear. Um, so you have this on top of, let's, let's estimate 40 to 50 million consumers anyway. And now you just added another 10 million to it. Right. And then, with, you know, with without Remington, Remington, yeah, without Remington. What, Remington was what, probably conservatively 15 to 20% of the overall market right there. Probably, and when you talk yeah. about primers, there's really limited capacity. There's only a yeah. couple manufacturers that buy yep. prim the manufacture primers and they have to be shipped to all the companies that are making their uh, own yep. loaded ammo. So uh, that supply chain issue had to just been just. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And then which comes to a, another good point that people kind of overlook. So if you look at the outdoor industry in general, not just hunting, shooting, bicycle sales, golf, all that stuff yeah. sp spiked, right? Because right. people weren't working. They're camping. You can't even find a camper now. And yeah. so you, you, you go out and, and people are doing more outdoor activities. You added about what a million new license uh, numbers versus the prior year. Yeah, they might've yeah. hunted before, but they're hunting again. So you put all this into perspective everything got sucked up every bit of ammunition there is and then you have the people that are the preppers and, and hoarding you know i get that a pallet is not enough ammunition come on it, it's not yeah <laughs> it's always it's always about need versus want and right, right, right. there's, there's Absolutely. a big difference and uh they this is all just kind of just snowballing and making it a, a worse problem um kind of fast forward on that remington's back up now which is really good. Uh, Vista ended up purchasing them, which is exciting because that's a, that's a well-run organization. And I think they can get Remington back to kind of some glory days, which is good Absolutely. for our industry. Um, but you're still adding new gun owners on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so, and we still have supply chain issues. And, and it's not because um, there's some giant conspiracy. And this is where people want to fight me on this. They think that we're selling all of our stuff to the government. What? You don't have black helicopters loading no. up pallets of ammunition out no. of the back door of the factory every no. night? What? We, what? we are my, not. My bubble is burst. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, it's, uh, I've gotten got into some heated arguments with people on this. And it's, it's, I just want to tell it, there's nothing, I'm not hiding anything. It's not like we're shipping this stuff to the government because we want to keep it away from the consumer's hands. You know, I believe in, I believe in the Second Amendment more than 99.999% of everybody. And I, I want That's people cool. to have that. Um, it's, 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 it's a bad problem. It's getting better. It is getting better. Um, we're breaking production records and I know, uh, my competitors are doing the same thing, but it frustrates you. Like you said, you go to a sportsman's warehouse or, you, or, you know, you go to a, a, a academy or something, you're trying to buy ammo Cabela's and, and there's nothing there. Well, part of this problem goes to this allocation. They're going to hold stuff back because they, they have guns to sell and they can't sell guns without ammo. And, you know, as a manufacturer, I'm trying to make sure everybody gets something. And so mm -hmm. we're trying to divvy up our production on a daily basis to everybody. And so, and I'm just going to just use round examples here. If I make a hundred boxes of this and I ship, if I ship it to one person, they control the market. Guess what happens? Prices skyrocket. Absolutely. Because right. supply and demand. So we're trying to divvy it up and make sure everybody uh, has something, you know, mom and pop shops, they're, they're the heart of this industry. Yes. And if they don't have ammo to sell, they're going to they go have, out of business. They are going to go out of business. They have bills yeah. to pay. They have rent. They have overhead. But they have to do that. It's a lot that. harder for them to weather that than it is sometimes some of these bigger yep. stores for sure. Absolutely. And so, you know, we're doing our very, very best there. Um, 
and, and we're allocating the very best we can. Um, now we got other problems. Now you've got raw materials are at an all time high. Um, it is ridiculous what their what copper prices are now. Well, uh, everything. I mean, we're seeing commodity prices go through the roof. I mean, yep. look at the price of lumber right now. Fuel prices oh, are going through yep. the roof. All those things affect the supply chain. And uh, I have to imagine, you know, unfortunately, and it's the last thing you want to do as a manufacturer, but, you know, pricing has to reflect that at some point that you're not going to take a loss on selling a product uh, just to get it into consumers' hands either because you have jobs, you have, have you jobs. have people, yep. you have employers that need uh, employees that need to be paid, you have health benefits that need to be paid, all those things. So somewhere in that matrix that price structure has to increase which particularly in a shortage is extremely unpalatable, but it is, you know, this is econ 101, right? Yeah, it, it's reality. Absolutely. I'm going to bring you to the trade shows with me by the way. You're going to you're going to be my <laughs> My spokesman out front. Um, it, it, you understand it. This is exactly yeah. what it is. And, you know, it, it's sad. It is sad to see uh, retail pricing up about 150%. <sighs> I mean, it is. But I get it. I mean, that. Yeah. what would you do in that position? And so, uh, but it's, it's sad because they, they feel like it's the manufacturers taking advantage of everybody. Everybody had to raise prices. Yeah. Every, you know, everybody had, uh, if you go through the entire supply chain, they have to. Um, inflation is here, whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, it, it, it's to go back to your original question. I'm sorry. I kind of went on a tangent there, but <laughs> no. the, your original question, supply and demand, um, supply is getting better, but demand is still outpacing it. it All it, right. We need to take another break, our last one for today. But uh, but when we come back, I actually want to transition, not that this wasn't fun, but to the real fun about mule deer hunting. You're in Bend, Oregon, Eastern Oregon. I want to hear a little bit about your history with the, I see a, in our little Zoom meeting here, we've got a picture of you with a beautiful mule deer buck behind you. So let's hear about that. And also a little bit about the ammunition that you guys use and recommend for mule deer hunters and, and give some advice to our listeners. So we're going to take a minute to hear from our supporters and we'll be right back. I'm Anthony Imperato, president of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from, made in America or not made at all, and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Go to HenryUSA.com and order our free catalog, decals, and a list of dealers in your area. That's HenryUSA.com. Thank you, and God bless America. The best hunting stories begin long before the harvest. They begin with the hard work of conservation groups like the Mule Deer Foundation, working tirelessly to protect our hunting traditions. As a proud partner of MDF, Vortex Optics is dedicated to improving your experience in the field by offering you rugged, innovative optics and apparel backed by our VIP warranty, our unlimited lifetime promise to take care of you whenever you need us. Together, let's ensure Mule Deer always have a place to roam. The best hunting stories are yet to be told. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. All righty, we are back, and, and it's been really, really interesting to hear a little bit more about the insider industry perspective that you guys bring and, and your company. Let's transition to a little bit of fun. Did you get out mule deer hunting this year? So this last year was a little bit rough. Um, Oregon was on fire for most of yeah, uh, yeah. so our hunting areas really got limited, um, and really the game, you know, it moved. It's tough. It's real tough. It's going to happen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, this year we've seen a lot of late, uh, 
late fawns. And, mm-hmm. and, and I wonder how much the rut changed because of everything that had happened. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to grow up here. It, it, you know, it's, you can say what you want about Oregon, but we do have really good hunting. Yeah, and uh, uh, we're very fortunate. And I, I get to grow up mule deer hunting. That's, that's our staple. You know, that's, that's what we do. And, uh, uh, you know, I know a lot of the country's whitetail. I, I get so excited about a big mule deer. I get excited about any mule deer, really. It doesn't have to be a big one. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to teach my kids how to do, you know, mule deer hunting. They're, they're, my, my, they? my son just pa- passed his hunter's education. He's yeah. 11. He's 11. Awesome. So he, he did the field day and I was so proud of him. He I bet. Studied yeah, hard awesome. for that. And then, uh, and then my, my oldest daughter is, uh, She's about two more years before we can get her really into it, but she's, she wants to go with dad. So that, that's exciting. Um, you know, mule deer hunting for us, it's special. It's, uh, it, it holds a very, very special place in our heart. And it's frustrating to see that people don't understand how fragile a species they are uh, when it comes to yeah. habitat and, and also conservation. Um, it frustrates me that in Oregon we have uh, more cougars than we know what to do with. And, you know, that with the loss of habitat in, in terms of uh, expansion, everybody's moving to Oregon, right? So Bend is just right. blowing up in terms of the size and it's just eating up that habitat. Um, so I really applaud what, what uh, Mule Deer Foundation is doing uh, because uh, they're the only ones that are 100% dedicated to this. And, and, uh, they're, they're, they're just an awesome species. I love, I love hunting them. I love watching them. I love just, just seeing their habits in general. Um, you know, we had a buck here, uh, at the factory for, for years. They called him Buck Norris. They called him the Nosler Buck. Oh yes. We've all um, seen photos of Buck Norris yeah, running around. And, I mean, and, iconic. Oh, incredible. I came out of my office one night and he was bedded next to my truck. Oh, and, I said, awesome. and I said, what's the irony of this? You know, <laughs> right, and, right. And, but he, uh, he was such a smart deer because uh, he figured out where he could be and be totally left alone. Yep. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just they're just like I said, I just really admire mule deer in general. Yeah. You know, we've got, um, Mule Deer Foundation has got two stewardship projects there in Oregon. Um, one is associated with the Fort Rock Jack Creek watershed in the Fremont Winnema National Forest. Um, and the other is up in the Oatman Mule Deer Migration Corridor. And they're partly, I mean, one of our biggest priorities is either post-fire restoration. That's something that we do in a lot of areas after a fire, we'll go back in and, and manage cheatgrass, uh, Medusa head, the, the invasive species, but also replant sagebrush, um, yes. improve other things. Fire's not always bad. Um, so in no, some ways, if you not. can restore the habitat in the areas, <laughs> right. if it didn't burn too hot, the other part of that is managing some timber, um, you know, to thin, uh, thin over dense stands of forest uh, to improve aspen restoration. So, so there's a couple of projects that we put in uh, our, some money for ten, fifteen thousand $15,000, but it's matched by the U.S. Forest Service and others up to $100,000, $175,000. So those are the types of things that make a difference, particularly in fire years. It's either going to help prevent or reduce. I did some work on fire um, for, for some other groups and, and, um, there was a, a fire in the Deschutes National Forest where they did a timber, uh, salvage operation, a, a, a restoration yep. thinned on one side of the thing. And they posted, they had a fire there this year. Uh, and the one side of the road up to where they did that restoration was sticks, 
it was, yeah. you know, a, a complete wasteland. You get to the road and the other side is where they did the restoration. And the it, the crown fire dropped down to the ground and just burned low and low vegetation. And all those trees yep. are, you know, they're, yeah, they're burnt, but that, that's, they're meant to have a fire replacement. And so this stuff works. It makes a difference and it helps our, our, our animals. Cause when you have sticks, nothing comes back for a while. Um, Absolutely. I, and it's, it was, it was interesting to see Oregon actually participate in that because they get a little weird about uh it can salvaging. be a challenge in yeah, certain yeah, places absolutely. Yeah. exactly um but to answer your question you know this this fall you know I, i'm waiting to see my tag results but um i'm, I'm super anxious to take my son out one-on-one -on -one awesome. mule, mule deer hunting and i think uh, uh you know i put in because they have, they have a pretty good youth program here in oregon that's, with men mentorship yeah. and he gets he gets to get basically mentor points and okay. uh by the time he's of, of, of a good solid hunting age, he can uh, actually draw a pretty good tag here. So they, they've figured out some things here. That's uh, a neat idea. So, so he's putting in and so he can still get a youth tag, but he's getting yes. mentored points yes. as well. So he's accumulating points for better units yep. for when he's a little, that's a really neat program. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Like, I have a 16 year old daughter and she is quite, uh, she's a pretty proficient, but we actually haven't gotten a mule deer tag for her. We haven't been able to get a mule deer tag for her. She's now got, I think she's got five points and I think we've, we've planned that next year she and I both have the same number of points we're going to finally put in for, for a, a mule deer tag on the West slope. But, um, but it is the coolest thing to, to go out with your kid and to share I, that experience with them. And I, I'm telling amazing. you what I've done so far with, with my kids, I, I got more joy and I think I had bigger buck fever Yes. Watching them than me behind the trigger. So yeah, uh, I think my husband could, he, he's the expert in it. Cause I'm a relatively new, uh, big game hunter. I've been bird hunting forever, but okay. been relatively so, so I'm learning too. Our daughter's learning and, and, and he, he could probably give a, a master class on how not to lose his temper because he's lost <laughs> his temper so much. <laughs> and he realizes afterwards, you know, part of that is cause he's so excited and he has to step right. himself back and remember what he has how much knowledge he has in his head that yeah. he hasn't fully communicated out and, and something that happens that we're just not prepared to handle and to deal because it's just totally completely new to us. Yep. So it, it is a, it is an amazing process to mentor and, and to watch your kid get their first animals or get out there and just have fun and learn the process is just amazing. Absolutely. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm still putting in, in every state and I'm trying to get, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> trying to get, Trying to get daddy's tags. But yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. We need them too. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we have already taken up a big chunk of your time. But before we go, I always like to ask, is there anything else that you haven't been able to talk about, either about your business or about your experience or, or your support of the Mule Deer Foundation? Anything that you wanted to bring up? You know, I, I'm very proud of our uh, support of Mule Deer this year. Uh, we stepped it up uh, as a company. And it's we greatly felt, appreciated. Yeah, yes. we felt that was the the, the right again, moral thing to do. Um, so we're excited to, to partner partner there for sure. And I, hopefully this is one of those, uh, I always do things in a long-term atmosphere. I don't ever do it like one and done. I think if we're going to do something, let's be in this long-term together and work towards uh, solutions and, and projects that you've, like you've already named a couple that are, that are great. Um, you know, you qu quickly mentioned about ammunition, uh, you know, for, for deer, um, it is important to choose the right ammunition and you know this isn't this isn't just a plug on the company but you know we always say it's the cheapest insurance policy you have make sure you have good working ammunition that works yep. out of your firearm that uh you feel confident with and if, if you go out and you just buy some box because you can buy it and you don't really sight in your gun you're 
you, you, you're putting your hunt and your experience, I think, at risk. So and and the animal. I mean, you want to. Yeah. It, it, what's your your tagline? It, Mike drop, uh, buck drop. I, I like that that advertising that you guys do in that one, and it's the truth. You want that animal to go down. You want him to drop. You do, you, you do, and then we and we make you know premium products for that, and whether it's a ballistic tip or an acubon or a partition, uh, you know, partition's been around for seventy five years. It's still the one that everything's measured against, and uh, you know, do it, do everybody in the animal a service, and uh, you know, doesn't make doesn't make sure. It doesn't mean you can't hit them anywhere and it, it, it's not going to work. You still got to make proper so, shot yeah. placement, but um, it, you know, take the time to practice. I know it's tough in a shortage ammo environment, but if, if you can buy your hunting ammunition now, you need to do it. You, if you find it, you need to do it. And, you know, I'm also going to give you guys a big plug as a, as a hand loader on, on my side, your customer service uh, has been exceptional. Uh, you know, I grew up hunting whitetails in the Midwest and I found, uh, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, a, a neat little cutout in the state of Minnesota that I could shoot an AR-15 pistol in a pistol zone to deer hunt. And, uh, you know, AR-15 bullets, uh, 300 blackout bullets aren't exactly necessarily designed for game taking. Uh, but I spent a lot of time chatting with your ballistics techs over there talking about, you know, hey, what's the the velocity threshold that I need to hit yeah. to make sure and what's my functional range. And, you know, my wife and I settled uh, the 125 grain Nosler ballistic tip over yep. H110 or N110 in my 300 blackout pistols. And uh, we have we have we've taken quite a few deer with that combo. And, you know, I'll be honest, uh, we tried the TSX from Barnes. We tried the Spear TNT to see if it would work. And, you know, we, we definitely had marginal results compared to using that ballistic tip bullet, but I probably wouldn't have ended up there if I didn't take the time to pick up the phone, chat with your techs over there, explain what my unique situation is. So, you know, I definitely recommend that for, you know, folks that are listening, if you're not sure what you need, you know, pick up the phone and call and, and explain your situation, how you're hunting, because, you know, if you're, if you're a short range shooter and, and, but wanting to be able to take shots out the, you know, 500 yards, you want to make sure that that bullet you're using is suitable for that goal. And, uh, without educating yourself, uh, you, you, you're not doing the animal a service. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the things we've focused heavily on the last few years, making sure we have enough customer service support. Uh, I know a lot of companies, that's one of the things people cut. And mm. we, we said, oh my gosh, we're in a technical world. We need to make sure people can call and actually talk to somebody, not just an email right. chat, you know? Yeah. So that, that, that's good to hear. I'll pass that along to the group. Excellent. Yeah, they they were super helpful. I was uh, I was blown away with uh, how much time that they spent helping to walk me through that and, and find a solution for my unique problem. So kudos. Well, John, thank you so much for taking your time today. I know you've got a very busy schedule, um, making a lot of ammunition. Yeah, I got to. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm the, the Dunkin' Donuts guy. I got to go make the ammo now. Time so. to make the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> but thank no, you thank so much for your time. Thank you for supporting the Mule Deer Foundation. We really appreciate you and your company and all the people that are there. Thanks for the time. JJ? Kudos on your first, uh, you know, podcast co co-host there. Yeah, Thank and if nothing else, us. it sounds like I might have a uh, a second job path working for Nosler <laughs> over there doing you PR do. again. So absolutely, anytime. Excellent. But hey, thank you for what you do. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, 
wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.